0: Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host, and today we're going to be talking about the challenges of organizing your growing tech stack. (laughs) For those of us in the technology world, whether you're a website owner, uh, you have an e-commerce store, uh, regardless of what you're doing, you've got all of these different software applications that you're utilizing. As you add new things, there's technical debt. There are concerns about things like multi-channel integration, integrating software so that it Works together so the data flows and things are pieces of information are where you need them to be so that they're actionable and and you can leverage them the way that you want and you need. And there's a lot, (laughs) a lot of layers to that onion to peel back. So we're lucky to have with us today a great guest. Cheryl um, is here from the Cabinet M team. And Cheryl, would you do the honors of introducing yourself?
1: Sure. Thanks so much. Um, And I appreciate the opportunity to do this with you today. Um, So my name is Cheryl Schultz. I'm the founder, president, and COO of Cabinet M., Cabinet M is a marketing technology management platform that helps enterprise marketing operations teams manage the technology that they have and find the technology that they need. Um, We actually have been around for a number of years. Um, We work with organizations that are small to large, and we'll spend some time talking about that, about what users do with our platform. And, um, you know, I'll look forward to answering your questions today.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, I'm going to start with one of my most common questions. How did cabinet M get its name? <laughs> Where did that start? How did that come about?
1: Yeah. So that's actually a funny story because Anita and I, Anita is my co-founder. Um, Anita and I are career marketers and we've been through lots of naming exercises, but naming your own company is a whole different thing. And so we spent a couple of weeks really going through the name generators, you know, thinking about things that we like, changing up names. Um, we actually, Grabbed, I want to say 10 different URLs. At the end of the day, you want a name that people can pronounce and that doesn't mean anything nasty in another country, and that you can grab the URL and the Twitter handle for. Right. And um, so we named it a number of different things. At one point, Cabinet M was going to be called concisive. And then Anita was sitting in a movie theater waiting for a movie <laughs> to start, and she's like, cabinet. It's a place to save things. And it's a group of advisors and M for marketing. And that's how it happened. So it's not a long, fancy story, but that's how we named the company. And we've really never looked back. People can pronounce it. And we grabbed all the associated names, although we did have to make our Twitter handle, cabinet M1.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Somebody beat you to to Twitter, but nothing else. That's pretty wild. They
1: did. They did. And it's ugly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, never a dull moment in, in the no. cyber world. Uh, yes. And yeah, I know a lot of things we're going to talk about today, That the principles are going to be applicable to different types of technology. But really, you've got this deep-rooted background in marketing. Tell me, what types of categories of marketing software does Cabinet M specifically work most often with, I'll say? You know, what is it that comes up? Is it the the email marketing platforms, the, the SEO tools? What is it that you find that's really in demand these days that, uh, that you're tasked with helping users with?
1: Yeah. So well, I'll step back just to drop in 10,000 tools in its database. And those tools are indexed across 500 different categories. And so we have a very broad definition of what marketing technology is. We think about it as being anything that somebody puts into their tech strategy. It's sales tech, sales enablement, creative operations technology. It is all of the technology that organizations use in order to plan and manage their everyday lives, And so those 15,000 tools grow every single time we get a new customer. We end up with another 30 tools. So um, to answer specifically your question, you know, there are categories of products that we see in tech stacks all the time. And then every now and then somebody puts something in that's new. Um, We tend to think of every stack as a snowflake. They're all different. Right. Even companies that are exactly the same have different tech stacks. We just went through a, um, a study uh, for the PR council They're one of our clients and they use the cabinet and platform to actually collect data from their member organizations. So 50 different PR firms all map their technology. We added an additional 100 products. And uh, if you look across those stacks, there were over 500 tools at play. And think about that. These are agencies, they're doing similar jobs, Um, they're tiered in terms of size, but all of their stacks are very different. But to answer specifically your question, you know, we do see email marketing, we see marketing automation, we see attribution, um, we see more tech management, right? Because that's our category, and every one of our clients puts that in. Um, we look at optimization, web tools, all the social channels, um, you know, lots of SEO over the last few years, more and more. We see CDPs. Right? They're in play, Um, you know, account based marketing. Um, In fact, we actually sometimes in our clients see an ABM stack and people will break out, you know, personalization and nurturing and email. So they get more granular in terms of what they mean there. And then, you know, over the last year, we've seen, you know, sort of um, in the ABM category, we've seen gifting, you know, with companies like Alice and with Sendoso. You know, organizations are reaching out to their prospects, and they're using platforms to reward them in order to take meetings. And those companies are doing extraordinarily well. So, um, you know, the stack just keeps growing, and it grows because categories grow. You know, for a while, when we started the company, there was no AI machine learning. Now there's a category and all the associated products get tucked in there. And occasionally, we're starting to see some AI and machine learning tools in those stacks.
0: Hmm. <laughs> no rest for the weary. <laughs> no, no, but, you know. Yeah, but that, that's very interesting, just how much data you can wind up with, how insightful that no one's going to get one over on you in terms of uh, you know what platforms are really on the rise and what's falling by the wayside. Uh,
1: Yeah. And that's a great point because we collect a ton of data in the back end of Cabinet M. So there have been over 800 stacks that have been built and are managed on the platform. And we have a function called Stack Insights. It's only available to our paying customers where we basically expose the back end of our um, platform. We anonymize the data, we aggregate it. So if you're a HubSpot user or a Marketo user or a Pardot user or any user of any technology, literally, you can come in and put their name in, and say, what do companies like me, and we give you the ability to choose B2B, B2C, nonprofit, et cetera, what are they using in addition to this platform? And what other categories of products are they using? And we give that back to them in rank order. And some of our clients will spend a couple of hours a week in Stack Insights, just mining the data because there aren't there aren't really very many places that you can go for true technology adoption data um there's data that people report but this is actual data that people are housing inside of cabinet m as they try and get their arms around their tech stacks Hmm.
0: that's really interesting i i yeah geek out on data like that
1: <laughs> yeah us too us too we have these great things called stackmates and they're actually prettied up and we publish them every now and then just looking at the different products around what would traditionally be anchor platforms in someone's stack just to show you how many times they show up when they show up in our platform
0: yeah well you know it, it seems poignant to ask have you noticed any Surprising shifts in the last year or so uh things that that became more in demand or really picked up uh I, I know in the e commerce world where I spend a lot of my time uh, <laughs> there have been you know a, a lot of pretty in hindsight predictable uh impacts yes. things like store pickup and things yes. that became very important
1: yes. So, you know, we do see that and we actually, we have a number of large retailers who use the platform and, you know, interestingly, we've seen some of those platforms not grow because you expect that they're just going to add more technology, but, you know, we see organizations being very thoughtful about what they're putting in, but also what they're pulling out. You know, organizations who have Shopify sitting in the middle of that e-commerce experience that has grown. I mean, the ecosystem around Shopify, you know, we've seen grow um, twofold in the last few years. And even small retailers, and we've had some small retailers manage their stack on Cabinet M. You know, we're amazed at the size of their stack because of those apps that live around Mm -hmm. Shopify.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that um, I've I've worked with a number through the years of Shopify and Shopify Plus users, big commerce users, uh, more Magento users than anything, but also yeah. you know some of the smaller ones on WooCommerce. And yep. I could I could rattle off a, at least a dozen other platforms I've worked with and and supported merchants with. And I think part of the challenge that merchants sometimes don't realize is, especially when they start adopting some of these SaaS platforms, that they're about to add. Dozens of apps <laughs> to, to their lives. Yes. Uh, that they're you know Shopify is pretty austere. It's it's not a very robust platform off the shelf. And so now you're going to wind up hiring all these different uh, app providers in order to get some basic functionality. And by the time that you're done, uh, <laughs> you know you really do need to map it all out. And sometimes these things conflict. They don't work together. Um, yep. Often you know they're they're not intended to work together. They're just one off things built. By, by some small uh, software publisher off somewhere. And I, I think, so this leads back to the, these issues with something like Magento, you absolutely have lots of third-party integrations, but you also wind up buying a lot of extensions or writing a lot of extensions that you install and it's just part of your main stack and it's maintained yes. as part of that main stack. Um, and so it's a in a lot of ways, a little bit easier um, to plan and manage. And if there is a conflict, you can, Often work that out where with third party apps, <laughs> either, you know, something like Shopify. Either they work together, or they don't. Um, now, yeah. You know, s- stepping back for a second, uh, I caught that you work with both end users, so sounds like mid market, enterprise, you know, whatever sized users. But you also work with different kinds of agencies, like digital marketing agencies and uh, and such. Uh, is it as troublesome for the agencies to track all of this as it is for the end users?
1: Yeah, so let me clarify that a little bit. So we work um so we work with end users and our, you know, end users are everything from medium-sized companies right up through huge organizations, you know, billion dollar plus companies. And the, you know, sort of the tipping point that we see in those end users Are that they're using probably upwards of 50 to 200 different to 250 different products in their stack. So once you get past about 50 products, it becomes hard to look at that data. If you're trying to manage it, you're managing it in a spreadsheet and you're trying to track 20 to 50 different attributes right? How many licenses do I have? What does it cost? What do my auto renewals look like? Is the product GDPR compliant? Does it collect PII, et cetera, right? And those are all things that we built into Cabinet M to make it simple. So that's the end user environment. You know, agencies are a little bit different. You know, what started to happen, and this actually relates to the question you asked earlier about changes in the market, What we're seeing is increasingly there are organizations that are turning to digital marketing firms and to consultancies um, and to analysts, and they're looking for help with their tech stack. And so we partner with a number of those types of agencies and firms so that they can start by auditing their customer stack And then using that data as a way to build the going forward plan for what that organization needs to do, more times than not after the initial audit, the client stays in cabinet M because for the first time, they have a true view of the products they're using, all of the different layers of technology those products live in the way data is flowing between those products and the way they're integrated. And so those are all functions that we offer to all of our clients. But some companies have teams that can actually implement internally and some companies you know need help doing something and this becomes part of it. You know, maybe they've been using one marketing automation platform and, you know, they've realized that they're scaling and they need more horsepower. Or we also see organizations and we actually see them in both sides of our um, user that are dealing with MA issues. And so they're looking at multiple silos of data. And in that case, they have the opportunity to say, do we pick one mm-hmm. or do we now implement best in class for what our organization is going to look like going forward in the future?
0: That's and interesting. And so yes. yeah, I-, I could imagine that do you really want to be running Clavio for this organization that you're acquiring and MailChimp for this one and constant yep. contact for that one? And yeah, the same in the e-commerce world. That uh, you know, do you want to run one Magento multi-store for all of them, or do you want to run you know three Shopify stores and five big commerce stores? <laughs> you know, it's uh, there's a lot going on there. That, that those are probably some lengthy discussions that happen in, within yeah. some of these.
1: Yeah, rooms. they are. They are. And then you know, in addition to that, what you need to do is look at those contract details, right? Because you might have a platform that's performing at, you know, 90% and you have a three-year contract and it's an expensive platform. And then you might have something that is a little bit better, but, you know, it the contract expires in six months and you need to make a decision. And it requires really not just looking at those tools today, but understanding from the vendors what that tool will look like next year. The year after and having those conversations as well, you know, often in those MA and a situations, um, and we've seen this, you know, repeatedly, um, there'll be one person who uses something and they really they love it, they're dependent on it, but the functionality is already built into something else in the stack, and those are the hard stakeholder conversations that someone who's managing marketing operation or the tech stack needs to have with their stakeholders across the organization.
0: Absolutely, that it's surprising at this point just how many places you can get the same functionality. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, and so CRM versus email marketing platform, do you send those blasts out of HubSpot or those drip campaigns or what have you, or do you send it out of a more, um, traditional email platform? Uh, you know, you'll often find organizations that are in some cases doing both (laughs) and different people within the organization are, are leveraging one versus the other. Uh, and I think that that applies to lots of, of categories of, of software and, you know, going back to the, you've got six months on that contract or three years on that contract. How much trouble does that cause? Cause I imagine that for organizations that haven't mapped all of this out, that these things sneak up on them. I know if you want to replatform an yeah. e-commerce website and you're under some kind of a contract, uh, that, that can easily, easily take several months. Uh, and I've seen it take a lot longer, for better or worse. But yeah, just as an average, uh, you know, you really need to have enough insight. Otherwise, you're going to wind up having to renew some license because otherwise, <laughs> you're going to be up a creek without a paddle.
1: It's true. It's, tr- it's true. And so, you know, um, one of the things that I always like to spend some time talking about is, you know, how surprising it is. To look at organizations that are highly organized, you know, externally when you look at them, and when you go in and you start speaking to them about the way they manage things today, you know, they really don't. Okay, you can't manage this in a spreadsheet. You can't really manage it in an Airtable. Um, we've managed. We've actually moved people from Airtables, and we're talking super complex, multi-multi-tab, you know, air tables over to, you know, cabinet M. And the problem is, um, you know, it's on multiple fronts. One is it isn't simple to really look at it and see what you've got and what it's doing. Okay, that's sort of part one. You know, part two is reporting is a huge issue inside of companies. Um, Someone is always asking the marketing operations team, what are we using for this function? How are our products integrated? Which of our products are GDPR compliant? Can you provide us a list of every one of our products that collects PII, et cetera, et cetera? And which of our products are renewing in the next quarter, right? We have users who have come to us. Um, They've been, you know, maybe freemium users. They're using our platform to track 25 products. That's what we allow um, users to come to Cabinet M and do for free. And you can use some of the functionality and not all of it. But at the point in time where you need in earnest to be cranking through reports you know, some of these people have said they sit in their office for, you know, two, four, six, eight hours a week in front of PowerPoint and Visio and Lucid Charts. you know, building diagrams of what their technology looks like today. And then you change one thing and you need to move all your integrations around. And so, that's part of what we enable. And you know, from an organizational end user perspective, you know, they're getting requests from sales. What are you using on our behalf? How are you generating leads for us? What are you doing to follow up? How are you scoring these leads, et cetera? Right. Um, you know, finance wants to know, you know, what are you using? What are you thinking about using? What are you evaluating? Well, IT. And,
0: and even what yeah. plan? I mean, I, I th- so. If you look yeah. at something like HubSpot, if you want to <laughs> use a, f- a few extra features, the price jump is significant, and they're not alone yes. in that. I don't mean to pick on them. Yeah, um, but we happen
1: to be HubSpot users. So, so yeah,
0: so you know, so I yeah. feel I see what that looks like. But uh, I think that I have conversations every year with a few merchants that are on Adobe Commerce, uh, you know, what, what was Magento Commerce and uh, or Magento Enterprise back in the day. and they're trying to determine if they're getting value out of it or if they'd be better suited switching over to Magento open source to the free software version. And, you know, they're not going to get a a lot of help from the software publisher on that. They want to sell a license. Who could blame them? Uh, Yes. You know, and so trying to figure out what's included, which should I be on, you know, should. And and so the same thing that, that, you know, a marketer would have looking at HubSpot, you know, Is it really worth that extra jump in price? Are we going to get value out of that? Is that a good spend? Those are some tough conversations. And there's a a lot of mental gymnastics that goes into, what is this feature worth to me? What's my ROI going to be? And could I get that somewhere else and just peel that off and be just as happy for a fraction of the price? Or I I think there's, there's a lot of that. And the more that the industry, of course, goes SaaS... I think that that that's just uh, another enormous challenge because the ongoing cost can be so substantial so quickly, especially if you're still scaling up. You know, if you're an organization that has new hires and that's going to have more seats and that's going to hit thresholds and, oh, you've now got more than 10 users for this. Now you've got to pay for the enterprise license. Uh, You know, that predicting some of those things gets to be troublesome.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the problem that, Has been inserted into the SaaS industry is the hierarchy of the sales funnel. So if I have a question today and I decide that, you know, I want to move off of any one of our platforms and I contact a vendor, I have to go through their process, right? I have to talk to a BDR who qualifies me. Then I have to talk to, you know, SDR and, you know, they're going to take what they've learned and get, me further and further in the funnel, all I want to know is, can you do this and what is it going to cost? You know, I actually, um, you know, we used a vendor um, for data. You know, I won't won't name them, you know, a few years ago. And, you know, we weren't using the platform a lot. I wanted a smaller version. A lot of times what I was looking for wasn't there, um, but we still wanted to use it. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to somebody and I said to them, look, here's what I'm willing to pay. And, you know, if you'll do it, that's great. Otherwise, you know, no problem. I'll look for somebody else and that's okay." And literally, I had like four or five people call me after that, all trying to sell me something that was three times that amount, you know. And I said to each of them, seriously, in your database, it should show you. Cheryl Schultz says, this is what she's willing to pay. Otherwise, you know, peace, cancel me out. And, you know, I'm going to sail on, you know, and so a lot of times it's just the process is broken. Right. And and I think that sometimes
0: organizations have a hard time. Look, if, (laughs) if you're built for everyone, you're built for no one, you know, so you have to, at some point, Figure out who your target audience is. Now there are organizations that have multiple departments that serve as multiple you know types of users. They have real product differentiation. That's great. Um, I, I know that I chat with our sales team all the time about mm-hmm. you know how we right size, right fit, and you know we're always trying to hone that process to get people to the price as fast as we can. But you know, we need to collect a few pieces of information because if not, yeah, uh, then bas- people are aren't going to be right sized and we're not offering them a five-star product at that point. And if we're not doing that, then what are we in it for? And the same way that you know we have entry levels. Yes. If somebody wants to know where we start on price, we'll tell them in the in the first sentence. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you know, absolutely and so we, we're not trying to drag that part out. If it's not a match, um, you know. it's not a moving
1: on. That's okay. Moving on.
0: You know, it's uh, because we don't want somebody to have that bad taste of having to go through six people and jump through all those hoops just to find that out. Uh, You know, we have a pretty advantageous entry-level price. But, you know, so as a web host, we don't provide shared hosting. So there is none of Mm -hmm. that $10, you know, there's nothing in the double digits, that sort of thing, that it's all dedicated single tenant fully managed highly optimized environments that in order to get the right support that you know an e-commerce merchant or a more serious you know uh, business that's up and running is looking for to get all of the security the loading speed optimization the scalability the reliability and to keep it flexible not to give people some kind of a cookie cutter product yeah. that, that isn't going to actually meet the needs of their developers and such we get it. (laughs) There there are people that are shopping at one end of the spectrum and we're certainly not the most expensive, but we've got to focus on quality. And I'll say that it's a tough, uh, I I think from our side, it's a tough challenge. And, you know, we do have tools that we're we're constantly honing to try to make it easier for our partners and such to just spin things up and, and make it easier. But, um, you know, but you don't want to get away from, uh, from, Making sure that people get exactly what it is that they need, and the more technical the product, I think the the more that that's necessary. So, double yeah. edged sword. Yeah, that's there. an
1: interesting point. You know, because um, you know, I speak to a lot of our users on the front end, and you know, they'll say to me, "Well, you know," so let me back up the bus for a second. We bill based on, or we charge based on the number of users and the number of products under management. Okay, we have three different subscriptions. You know, we can get people on the platform for three hundred dollars a month. It just sort of goes up on that, you know, from there. But, you know, I'll speak to companies who will say to me, you know, I think we have one hundred, but we may have one hundred thirty. I don't really know. And it's like, you know what? Honestly, you're going to grow from there and you're going to contract from there. Let's just start there. And if you go up, I'm not going to bill you between now and your renewal for those extra products. We don't do it. You know, I pick it up at the renewal. If you grow from 100 to 150, I pick that up. If you grow from 150 and you get down to 100, we do that too. We actually, um, you know, work with a company. And when we started working with them, they had over 400 products. And you know they're like, we know that we're trying to get down to something in the two hundreds, you know. And it was like, great, let's just price it for that. So I think that um, I think that listening to the customer and being flexible mm-hmm. in the way you think about you know your pricing, so that that customer stays with you over the long term, is really important because it's about the value, but it's also about that customer experience. And being able to listen to them is really important. We've created tiers of our pricing because of things that we heard. Um, You know, when we started, we when we started the company, we really thought that, you know, small companies would need the, you know, would need the platform. And we quickly learned that it was the larger companies. That truly needed help organizing, managing, documenting, reporting, et cetera. But along the way, what happened was we found large companies that had small teams. They had two people, one person, but they needed all the functionality. So we created a subscription for those people. Same thing in speaking to users, there are, you know, now, I think Gartner says 49% of um, you know, large enterprise organizations have a marketing ops function. Okay. And, you know, some of those functions are one person. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Cabinet M, you know, is rolling out Cabinet M solo, you know, single person, all this functionality. And as they grow, you know, we'll grow with them. So, you know, speaking to clients and really understanding. And um keeping your hands on the pulse of what's happening in, in these organizations is really important.
0: Yeah. And I think yeah, you know, <laughs> uh necessity is the mother of all invention, right? So yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I even see it with us where, and the team's doing this for years, but you know, we have our clients where we're auto-scaling with AWS and we're really, you know, we love working with you know some of those great public clouds and we do you know, phenomenal things with it. But some folks, they just need a dedicated server. They're going to get yep. the best bang for their buck that way. You know, We're doing it a long time. Um, but in the e-commerce world, for instance, there are some predictable spikes. And so maybe they need in Q4 in the holiday shopping season, they need some extra horsepower. Mm-hmm. We spin up some yes. booster servers for them when they need them. Um, we spin them down when they don't instead of making them pay for that hardware all year long, we created a solution um, to the problem and productized it in a way that that works for those users and that doesn't really penalize them um, for that particular pattern of need. Uh, so you know there are a lot of ways to get to some of these end goals, but I- I'm with you that whenever we see that kind of, Uh, repetitious need. It's the same way that for things like, you know, PCI compliance and security that we started to bundle in, you know, the fully managed web application firewalling and intrusion detection and malware scanning. And, you know, we're running the off-server backups. And it's always about, you know, what what do the users need in the stack to be successful, to sleep well at night? Uh, And yes, some of these things are things that they could get from a third party and manage themselves. But is that really in their best interest? Are they yeah. running a 24-7 network operations center to, to handle that stuff? Not, not usually. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, I think a lot of lead- that comes yeah, comes together. Yeah, that so way.
1: that actually leads me to sort of another piece of this puzzle because the technology is only one part of it. The people are another. And so, you know, what I'll say is that a lot of companies don't know what the technical proficiency of their team is. And so, you know, you talk about the fact that, you know, you use HubSpot, we use HubSpot. You know, organizations generally don't know how many users they have for that product. Um, If they're going to migrate to a new product, they don't know, you know, and it's something that um, you know, three years ago we started, you know, speaking with organizations who said, you know, we're concerned about product, but we're concerned about people and process, you know, and so you know, now a lot of those organizations are mapping and tracking, you know, people on Cabinet M alongside of their tech stack, right? So that you're not, they're not surprised. You know, when somebody comes in, so, you know, move to the next company and they find out they only have one person who can use Marketo or HubSpot or, you know, anything that they're using. And so we really, um, you know, you have to look holistically at that stack. The other thing that, you know, we find happening as well is that organizations, particularly now, right? Nobody's in the same office. Used to be you can, you know, look over and look over the wall and there was somebody that you could ask a question, can't do that anymore. And so documenting processes and best practices has become increasingly important. Think about all the companies that have had to onboard new new employees today and the kinds of things that, you know, You learn just about just by being around people, right? You know, we onboarded, um, you know, a new head of content and, you know, we've never met her in person. You know, I have someone who runs our social channels. You know, I'm looking forward to the day where, you know, we can sit across the table and have a cup of coffee and chat, but documenting what you need to do if you want to add a product to the stack it's really important right you want to look at you know is there a budget for it does it need integrations are you going to sunset something in order to integrate that new product you know putting that out there in a way that everyone can see it is really really important
0: well, and you know i i have a a love of integration <laughs> I, I worked for an <laughs> ipass at one point yeah and I don't know, one of my co- former coworkers workers uh, f- from that leg of, of my uh, career journey published an article, I want to say this morning, uh, that was really interesting, you know, looking at the cost of running an iPass and why some of them fail and, uh, you know, technical debt. Um, a lot of great charts. I-, I really liked his approach to it because it- it's a tough business. And I think it's not only the iPass that has a tough time. I think it's a very similar challenge that end users have when now they've got, you know, all these pieces of software that they want to integrate. And in some cases, maybe there's a native integration that does what you need it to do. Maybe the native yes. integration doesn't do what you need it to do and you need something custom. Maybe you're going to wind up, you know, paying a, a third-party iPass, an integration platform as a service, and those range greatly in price. You know, there's the yes, they do. down market. <laughs> there's, you know... I could start rattling off, you know, folks upmarket. And you also have, well, what if there isn't something off the shelf that's going to do it or, or you know, for whatever reason you choose that you need something custom, now you need to go and find, you know, some kind of an SI, a solution integrator and, have them, and pay them to write it. And now you're probably going to host that with, with someone like JetRails and you're going to um, have to maintain that code and document that code, yeah. hopefully document and, and maintain. <laughs> uh, and you know so you've got all of the these uh these challenges to meet just to get the data where you need and because if not it's not actionable and i know in, in the e-commerce world you know you look at things like i mean and and for sure now you know if you've got brick and mortar and you've got online sales channels you're expecting you know inventory and orders to be flowing so that there's you know convenient curbside and store pickup and you know shop online, return in store and all these other, um, facets of an omni-channel experience. But I I think that you're also, you're also expecting things to be able to work seamlessly like gift cards and reward points, regardless of where you are in person or online or, and, you know, just loading up a new, (laughs) a a new app on one side of the fence doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work across your organization, uh, a lot of, of, and you know and I see all the time folks that they've got all this great data and it's not where it needs to be. So they're not leveraging it. Uh, they're, they're not sending out the right promotions. Um, they're not utilizing the systems that they have. One of our most recent episodes, we were talking about loyalty and reward programs. And it's like, you know, your merchandisers and your marketers, they know what they want to be selling. They know what the, the items are that, that the merchants incentivize to move but if you're not offering like double points with your loyalty program for that, <laughs> you know, you're missing out. <laughs> and, and so yes. there are all these that you want things to really uh, line up well so that they can be used within the same marketing stack and within all these things that I I think that that's the challenge that we're at, that there are so many pieces of the stack now that in some cases you, you just... Just taking the time to think about how you could use these things together is half the battle.
1: Yeah. You know, that's a great point because, you know, there's this debate that's been ongoing at least for the last five years, okay? Which is, um, do you, you know, go to an ecosystem, right? Do you go to an Adobe ecosystem, a Salesforce ecosystem, or do you buy best in class, Right. And what's the tax you pay for either of those decisions? You know, um, what I would say is that to the past probably four years, maybe longer, I saw more and more and more companies just buying what they needed. Right. They were willing to pay the integration tax. You know, we have someone who can integrate it, we'll hire somebody to build that integration, you know, no problem. You know, I do think that, you know, the platform vendors, you know, particularly in the last few years of acquisitions have made major headway in terms of building their ecosystems out and looking for, you know, the holes and filling them so that, or so that large enterprise organizations could do more one-stop shop i still think the balance is tipped towards best in class but i don't think it's like this anymore i think mm-hmm. it's more like that
0: well, and it's a, um, you know you get the other side of the challenge is that you, what you want to avoid is jack of all trades master of none and so there are big players out there that you know I think of Netsuite. You know has their own e-commerce platform. Uh, you know Suite Commerce I believe is part of their core. And I, every time I've seen it, I've wondered, you know who their who the audience is for that <laughs> because it's yeah it, it was yeah. never really built to compete with a standalone e-commerce platform. So I guess you know if you were already on Netsuite and just needed some basic e-commerce functionality. Maybe spinning that up could make some sense, but beyond that, no one was ever going to migrate to it. Uh, and and you see a lot of that, you know, companies like Shopify that every year, rather than focus on their core, they take on another category of, you know, fulfillment or email marketing or this or yeah. that, and they they kind of get knee deep into everything, um, as opposed to being experts in something. Um, and, and I and, yeah. and I don't mean to, you know, go too negative on on any company. These these are some phenomenal companies that have, you know, amazing stock prices and huge followings, yeah. and um, and there's absolutely a market for all of them. So it's it's certainly not to uh, to come off, <laughs> you know, yeah, as, yeah, as too yeah. adversarial there. But I, I think that you know. For I get into conversations with a lot of folks that it's it's a challenge, I think, for the end users, that they often get sold on the fact that they can get an all-in-one when they don't understand that it's so far yes. from best in class.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it's really about how are you going to implement it? Right. Do you have the people who can implement it? Do you have the skills who can implement it? Because even though it's part of the same ecosystem, Mm -hmm. it's different skill sets to do different things. You know, I look at, for example, Salesforce and Pardot. Okay. I know a lot of companies that have bought Pardot just because they were Salesforce, you know, customers Mm -hmm. and Salesforce for a period of time was really making it very attractive. To implement Pardot, but it's not easy to use Pardot. It's not easy to use any marketing automation platform. Let's start from there, okay? But you know, they were like, "Oh, you use Salesforce." You know, if you implement Pardot, now you can send your campaigns off of that, etc. If you don't have someone who understands how to drive marketing automation, not CRMs, mm-hmm. but marketing automation, it's useless. No so matter totally what you pay it.
0: Yeah, if you're not triggering the right things, the right time, the right moment, if that's not your area of expertise, uh, you know, it's a beautiful tool, but it's not going to get you very far. And, you know, I I think so often part of the challenge is for me, what is it that's being evaluated that, um, you know, I was talking with, with a friend in the industry recently about total cost of ownership. Because that became one of the big, big driving conversations. It was like, I never yep. bought a cell phone or a car, or you know, i on total cost of ownership, right? You know, it's, yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, you know, you you do want to yeah. think about okay, you know, this one it's going to cost more to insure. It's going to, you know, this that. But I also look at things like yeah. opportunity cost. You know, so if I spend more here, I get these opportunities, and if I don't go that route, I'm kind of locked into this option and you know I I may not benefit the same way from it that there's all of these these levels of nuance. Do you have a, thoughts on how you know how these businesses and organizations that are trying to pick the right software um, you know what they should be looking you know at? I, I think that that might be the biggest challenge of of all is just, you know what is the rubric? <laughs> what, what what are we yeah. grading these yeah. things on? Because you know, and we've touched on some of the good stuff. I mean, there's there's pricing, and there's uh, there's integration, and um, you know, there's a lot of different moving parts. But it, are there some major topics that you think get le- either either too much emphasis in the conversation about what should be in your tech stack, or too little emphasis?
1: Yeah so um so that's interesting because every company comes at this totally different and every company um makes those decisions in a different way. You know for some company for some companies pricing is the issue, right? They want to know, you know, what can you do for me? How inexpensive can I build this, right? But then there are other companies that are far more thoughtful. And what they do is they literally lay out their requirements. You know, what is it that I want? First of all, they start with the objectives of the organization, right? What is it that the organization is trying to achieve? What are the objectives of the marketing organization in order to meet those goals? And how do I take technology and execute? against those goals.
0: I love And Yeah. Because, you know, I I love a good user story. Okay. You know, it's not, we're not looking for a tool. We're looking to solve this problem or these series of problems. Now let's engineer ourselves around that.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, what we've seen over, you know, the last few years is, you know, sales and marketing became a giant black hole. Right? Everyone was buying things. There was a shiny new thing. Nobody was holding, you know, sales and marketing to a standard from a budget perspective. And that stopped, okay? Because you can't prove ROI. You can't move ahead unless you know where you are. You know, you can't um, secure all your customer data in, unless you understand what it's touching. So, you know, I think that more and more organizations are getting more thoughtful about what they're using and why they're using it. And they're also starting to embrace the fact that there is a function called marketing operations, their job is to rationalize all of this tech against the backdrop that you've presented them with the strategy and objectives of the organization. And, um, you know, I spend a lot of time in LinkedIn, you know, I spend probably more time than I should there. And, you know, and I'm engaged with, you know, an audience there that, you know, does this job. And, you know, I see the, um, level of expertise and, you know, the level of, you know, of strategic thinking that's now there in that role inside these organizations. And it's not just inside of large organizations. You know, there are, you know, single marketing ops folks inside of companies that have made the commitment to make sure their tech stack is implemented appropriately from the start. You know, a lot of times people are just like, we need a website, right? That's the first time technology comes in the company. We need a website. We need a way of sending out email, you know? And so, you know, from there it sort of grows. Um, But I think that decisions are starting to be made more thoughtfully, you know, when companies start, but there are, all of these companies out there now, you know, 50% of them, according to Gartner, or 49%, you know, are implementing that marketing ops function in some way. And I think that over the next couple of years, you know, we will see better implementation of these technologies because they'll be um they'll be implemented against that backdrop of what does my company need to do, you know, because marketing ops it's right in line to revenue now right? Those are the systems that drive
0: revenue. And it makes sense, you know, especially for organizations of a certain size. It's the same way that, you know, now there are officers in companies, not just related to security, but things like data privacy. And, you know, which I know you've touched on in a few different ways. You know, I have these interesting data privacy conversations because, you know, as much as everyone's focused on who are you know, on on what data do you have? Right to be forgotten, things of that nature. There are security implications. You know, GDPR expects that you're going to have the right security mechanisms to make sure that the data is not stolen, <laughs> and that there yeah. isn't some kind of yeah. a breach. And now, you know, you're not, so. You know, yes, there's you know PCI compliance for those that accept you know credit and debit cards and such. But you've also got to te- deal with GDPR and CCPA and. You know, and all these uh, these different regulations around the country and the world as well, uh, you know, and and the risks involved in not. I think that in some ways, you know, all of the advancement in a lot of the these technology arenas is great, <laughs> and and I'm happy with it. I do think that it's going to take the market some time to adjust um, to understand what is an organization's responsibility uh small medium or large you know what's uh who do they need to task in their organization with with which things in order to i mean and not only for compliance reasons but you know we're talking about uh a world where um technology is at everyone's fingertips and um you know security becomes important um you know a lot of these other things become important Look, you know, I've talked a little bit about scalability, but you know, I, I think it's hard for a growing organization to choose anything in their marketing tech stack without thinking about where they're going to be in, in a year or two, because nobody wants to migrate. Um, if you're talking about a CRM or an email marketing platform, or the time it takes you to move everything over and get comfortable in a new platform, it's a lot of of hours of labor, and, and I'm putting it very, very diplomatically. There <laughs> it, <laughs> It's, yeah. uh, you know, anybody that's moved their their house anytime recently, you know, just think about that. Nobody wants to do this. Um, it, it's a big deal, you know, figuring out that, that right solution. So... Yeah, you
1: know, I, I agree. You
0: know, I, I and I think that's probably, you know, back to why so many, when you're mapping out their, or your platform is mapping out what their tech stack looks like, that things don't align the way that they should... Because it's just a lot of effort sometimes to re-engineer at the right moment because what they had five years ago, doesn't make sense now.
1: Uh, Yeah. Uh, What we see is a lot of companies will come in and they'll build their system of record, if you will, right? You know, what are the tools that we use today? You know, they define them by layer. But then what they'll do is they'll literally take that stack You know, in our environment, they'll duplicate it and then they'll start looking at what it could look like if they, you know, retired, you know, one product, if they sunsetted another, if they add a different one. And they literally go through that what if exercise, because the other thing that, you know, we didn't really spend any time talking about is as much technology as there is in the stack that you've paid for, there is a ton of technology in these organizations that's been custom-built, right? It's your homegrown technology. Sometimes we call it dark tech, you know, a cabinet M. But, you know, a lot of organizations aren't tracking that alongside of their purchase technology. And what happens in that case is that you get a double whammy right? You know, you start mapping your technology, you start thinking about sunsetting something, you start identifying the integrations, you know, and our tool lets you do all of that internally. But you've forgotten about that tool that someone built that no one's tracking, and it's connected to everything, right? And so, you know, we actually, we spend a lot of time encouraging users to look not just at the technology that they purchased, but also the technology they built, you know, for multiple reasons, including, you know, do you have something in your stack today with, you know, overlapping functionality to that tool so that you can get rid of it, right? Because someone needs to maintain it. And every time you buy a new tool, someone needs to write an integration for it. So, um, you know, so it's really this, the whole area, of marketing technology management is very, very complex. It's not as simple as, you know, I'm going to buy tools. I'm going to make sure that they integrate. I'm going to make sure that my data is passing. You know, yeah. it's, you know, fundamentally very strategic. Yeah. And, um, you know, us, you spent some time talking about, you know, how difficult it is for, you know, companies to retire products and one of the really sort of ugly things that we've seen happening over the last year you know uh, and it's really it's a trend is that you know during covid there were certain you know companies that were anchor platforms for lots of organizations you know they were kind right they basically you know they took their prices all the way down they made sure people could buy what they needed but those companies are jacking their prices way up. And to your point, empo- to your point, it's super hard to take data out of these platforms and move to a new one. And part of why you know, I've always had-
0: loved open source. I like installing it, <laughs> owning it. I I don't like surprises like that. But yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it. We've had some clients who um, you know, who have shared some really pretty ugly stories about that you know, with us where, you know, they were paying, you know, X for a product during, you know, um, 2020 to 2021. And they started doing planning and they reached out to get a quote. And it's like, oh my God, you know, I may have to get rid of this whole set of tools in order to pay for that now. You know, it's really... um That's not being a good citizen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's, you know, there's multiple directions that these things come in. And, you know, some of them, they're your silent partners that they're based upon transactions or, you know, or the amount of data or the amount of bandwidth or the amount of revenue or some kind of metric that that has to do with your growth. Now, I do understand some things like, you know, from a hosting perspective, the more bandwidth, the more cost. Uh, But there's... (laughs) There's a time when you know when it pushes you into another tier, and all of a sudden you know you're adding some zeros at the end of something, um, and there's really no middle ground where this does get tough. In the same way that uh, I've chatted with a lot of merchants in the last couple of years that have been migrating from Magento One to Magento Two, and you know a common theme is what extensions and apps and integrations do you have, and so start to go through this exercise of mapping out. And it's it's this uh, uh, this this more modern trend of d- does this extension bring you joy? <laughs> you know, are you really still using this? Do you really still need this? And you know, would you or would you be better suited with this newer thing where you'd get these five things in one anyway, and you don't need these five individual separate pieces of software? Um, but you know, through that process, the hardest part is. Often by that point, they've had three sets of developers and there's some custom integrations and extensions written. There's no documentation. No one knows exactly what they do. They have an idea, but um, they're named very, very obscurely and trying to get to the heart of, okay, well, if you build your site without that thing, um, that you don't even know what it does, <laughs> how are your operations going to be impacted? I don't know. Um you know start to, yeah. to go down this rabbit hole i, I think that, yeah. that the, one of the lessons is start documenting now the documentation starts today you know it's it's never you know it it might be late but it's never too late to start going down the the right path
1: <laughs> yeah so you know so that's a, an interesting point because um 3 years ago during the summer you know four of our clients lost their marketing ops person right? They, you know, they left. It's popular. It's people getting paid well to go. And and they went. And, you know, we spoke to one, you know, one of the global heads of marketing ops. And she's like, you know, it's bad, but I've got everything documented. So at least somebody can step in. In that company, we have been through three sets of marketing ops folks, and we're about to go through a fourth set. And, you know, it's horrible, right? They need to go. They need to hire. But their stack is fully documented. And all of their contracts are fully documented inside of Cabinet M. They're not going to miss an auto renewal. They're not going to miss um, any of the detail involved in managing any of those products. Somebody can come in. They can look inside the platform. And they can see the stack. They can see the integrations, they can see all the contract detail, all the customer data flows, and they're off and running. And so documentation is huge when it comes to tracking this. And let's face it, you know, 26% of marketing's budget is being allocated to technology. You need to actually, you know, manage it the same way you would manage anything else. So um you know that's what we try and do for our clients and you know we see them come in imagine they were
0: employees camps. and not pieces of technology and yeah. one of them you know leaves or something you know happens you need to know what they do every day <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and yeah and what, what you know who you what you need to be looking for in terms of a replacement uh or not yeah. you know and and determine those things but it is it is still surprising to me, maybe maybe more surprising than it should be when I run into these situations where, you know, you come in to give a consult and, and it's okay. I mean, you know, it's, I'd rather people be honest with me, in the area, but uh, they, they don't know what they've got and why and how that um, in some cases it's because so-and-so was using it or so-and-so thought it was good or, uh, you know, in some cases they're, they're just following a competitor Oh, we saw a great you know company that used this or read an article about a company that used that, and we figured that that was gonna be great for us um but they didn't yeah. really look at a you know at, at a wider range of data they didn't really you know uh compare other similar platforms or solutions uh so i I think some of that homework and it it's as you say that there's so many pieces in a stack for you. What's an average number of applications that one of these uh, companies is using? Is it 20 some odd?
1: Oh, no. Oh, no. It's way beyond that. So in our environment, really, on average, there's somewhere between 75 and 100, really leaning towards the 100. And so, you know, again, we cast a very wide net. So um, we have one, you know, one very large retailer that has, and you'll appreciate this, right? They have a branded credit card and that branded credit card is in their MarTech stack. And it's in their MarTech stack because it touches loyalty platforms Mm -hmm. and rewards platforms and email platforms. And so organizations really have a very broad, you know, view of what they put into their technology stack, From a marketing perspective. You know, we have, um, you know, all your productivity tools, your, you know, your Jira, your Slack, your Asana, your Trello, you know, people put them in because they think about them as um, workplace collaboration tools, right? So yeah, on average, that's what we see. You know, the largest stack, so the largest stack that I've ever spoken to someone about. They couldn't decide if they had a thousand products or four thousand products. And, um, you know, that was a, you know, there's a large um, automobile company, and actually, we could not do that work. We actually referred that business out to, you know, a consulting partner because, you know, we're not consultants, okay? We have a platform and a lot of, you know, a lot of companies like Cabinet M might, you know, surround it, you know, with professional services. We choose to partner for those because there are people with very specific um, sets of expertise who really need to focus on these technologies. You know, we focus on providing them with the
0: You know, when I'm not yeah. making podcasts, I'm I'm with you. You know, we, yeah. we host websites and applications. We don't want to build them, we don't want to market them. We partner with great marketing teams and and great digital agencies and yep. folks that you know it takes a village. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have to yeah. really, you know, back to that jack of all trades, master of none, you, you have right. to pick what you're gonna be good at and what you're gonna be reliable for. Uh, and really, you know, you want to lean into that. So no, I'm, I'm all about yeah. that. Um, I, yeah. I think that makes perfect sense. Bill, be part of an ecosystem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the thing about it is we've seen large companies who have 20 or 30 products, you know, that's what they needed. Someone made the decision and it works for them in general. We don't see that a lot. In larger organizations, but you know, quite serendipitously, you know, we have um, clients who've left the organizations they've worked in. They've gone to startups, you know, and they're back on Cabinet M. They're using the freemium version. They manage up to 25 products in their stack. And on the day that you know they need to do more, you know, they get in touch, and we flip them into a small team, you know, or a solo. Subscription. So, you know, it's just, it's interesting to watch how the industry has grown, but, you know, we see really on average about a hundred products in a tech stack for an enterprise organization.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Cheryl, this has been a really insightful conversation for me. Before we wrap it up, any final words, anything we didn't touch on, and anything in in your crystal ball for the upcoming year (laughs) or five?
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, in my crystal ball, I do see lots of organizations truly moving towards digital transformation and digital transformation efforts. You know, if COVID did nothing else, It really enforced the fact that um, it's important to have all your systems working because not everyone is going to be in the same place anytime. That's going to require more and more technology. Um, But we do think that organizations need to start looking at that and to look at their tech stack against that in terms of moving forward. We really believe that every company, if they manage their technology, has the ability to eliminate significant spend from their staff. Our clients end up reporting that they eliminate about 20% of spend in six to 12 months. It's eliminating duplicate contracts, those overlapping layers of technology. You know the tools that order renew, nobody's really using them, and you know we think really now's the time. You know the industry's at a tipping point.
0: I, I, th- you know, I've seen a lot of it myself, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I can appreciate that, and I've been involved in a lot of conversations that I I, I think really um, r- really thinking about it now, you know, h- highlight that, that, uh, that I think that we're going to see more and more of that. And I-, I think this is how industries work that, you know, you get, you know, some strong players, but then you get the next wave and the next wave of, uh, innovation and things have to keep evolving. So that's the beauty. That's yeah. why I love tech because it always keeps me on me my too. toes. Uh, <laughs>
1: me but, too. Yeah.
0: Well, with that, thank you so much for sharing all your time with with us and uh, our audience today. And uh, we look forward to, you know, more updates with you in the future (laughs) as the world of technology does uh, continue on that evolution. Um, To our listeners, as always, thanks for tuning in. We'll have more great content like this for you soon. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, happy selling and uh, uh, enjoy every moment of it out there. Uh, even if sometimes your technology stack is uh, is fighting against you a little bit, um, I, I can't imagine living without it. So uh, we'll bring you more soon. Thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it, and more importantly, we appreciate you.